0: Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging.
1: Welcome to Our Hope a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. Studying scripture is incredibly rewarding. It tells us who God is, who we are, and how to live. Best of all, it points us to Yeshua, the Messiah. Making the Bible part of daily life changes our priorities and desires for the better. At the same time, reading the Bible can seem intimidating. This book is large, spans thousands of years, and takes place in cultures quite different from our own. How do we study God's word and apply it to our lives? Whether you have never opened a Bible before or have been reading it for decades, today's conversation will help you go deeper. Our returning guest is Michael Rydelnik, Professor of Jewish Studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. He is host of The Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik radio show and editor of the Moody Bible Commentary. I now introduce the host of our whole podcast, Abe Vazquez.
2: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Our Hope Podcast. I am so excited to be here another week. This is episode three of season eight, and I'm just so excited we've made it this far. Um, as I mentioned in the past, it's not easy, but I have an awesome team around me to help uh, just push this forward. And so today, I'm so excited to bring back Dr. Michael Rodelnik. When we were talking about the topic for this particular episode, we thought, who is the best person to answer Bible questions, and uh, and, and we landed on this guy because <laughs> he basically does it for a living. Um, so he is the host of Moody Radio's Open Line with Dr. Mike Redelnik. Um It's a radio show that you can access um, online. Is that right, Dr. Rodelnik? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so yep. you can access it online or in your car if you, if it's on if if it's on the right channel. And uh, he just answers. Questions people have about the Bible, and so today we're really gonna dive into that. But before that, I would love to ask a question: What do you do for fun? What what is
3: what is something you just love to do for
1: fun?
3: <laughs> Thanks you guys for having me back on. It's always fun to be with you, and uh well, what do I do for fun? There's uh, there's always a, a lack of fun in my life. I need more fun, <laughs> but the most fun thing thing that i did for example this week uh this past friday it snowed here in chicago uh and so i after shoveling snow with my grandkids which was fun we did what was really fun we went sledding nice together i have a a three-year-old granddaughter and a six-year-old grandson (laughs) and uh you know mostly i was at the top of the hill my wife was at the bottom of the hill we had a great time just watching them but then my grandkids came up and said, Poppy, you have to sled with us. We want to have a race. Oh. <laughs> and so I had to get this body crunched into a little, uh, uh, what do they call it? A sled. One of those round sleds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so anyway, that's fun. Hanging out with my grandkids. Yes. Uh, whatever I'm doing, that's actually the most fun that I have. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Uh,
2: so we have another question for you what will your next
3: book be about? Okay. I'm working on two things right now. Uh, uh, actually three, I've just uh, signed up on a third project, but the first of the three is this spring. I am revising a book I wrote in 2004 and revised in 2007. It's called understanding the Arab Israeli conflict, mm-hmm. what the headlines haven't told you. Wow, and So that's awesome. it hasn't been revised since 2007. So uh, it's going to be, uh, it'll look a little different in the, cause there's a, events that have happened since then, right? There are yeah. some issues that need to be addressed, like the boycott, boycott divestment sanctions movement, which really wasn't around in 2004 when the book no. originally was written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, so that's what I'm working on. I also have signed a contract, uh, to write a book called finding Messiah in unexpected places. Wow. And it's, it's the, uh, it's really going to be sort of a companion. I, I did the Moody Handbook of Messianic Prophecy, which is, I edited and contributed. It's, it's much more of a, of a reference book on Messiah and the Hebrew Bible, mm-hmm. but this one finding Messiah in unexpected places, will start with my own faith story and how I came to know Yeshua, Jesus as the Messiah. And then, uh, uh, after I tell the story, then I'm going to go through some of the passages that convinced me. So it'll be much more of a popular explanation of messianic passages. Hmm. Uh, and so that's the next book. And then there's a secret project that I can't even discuss yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> well,
2: that makes it exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So just to, to dive in today's topic, um, let's sort of start at the most basic question. What is the Bible <laughs> and, and what makes it unique from other Bibles? It's probably the most read or uh, purchased book in the world, and mm-hmm. um, everyone knows what it is. I, I don't think there's one person who really doesn't know what the Bible is. So, maybe just from your perspective, explain what is the Bible?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, other groups have sacred scriptures as the Quran. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Jewish people, when they, for the most part, understand the Bible, they include just the Hebrew Bible then there's the uh what what Christians call the Old Testament and then uh of course uh Christians would include both Old and New Testament so there's a lot of different approaches i i like to think of the bible as god's sacred uh scriptures or mm. god's revelation to humanity mm. uh, and it's incorporated uh into a book the bible calls itself uh god breathed mm. so uh, which would make it distinctive from, example, from the Book of Mormon or other sacred books like the Quran, the Bible. I actually believe is God's revelation to humanity, uh, and a lot of times I remember doing Bible studies in the past with groups of people who had never read the Bible, and I I would always start the Bible study group with uh, the first lesson was on the table of contents of the Bible. <laughs> And uh, I would say, I would hold up my Bible and I would say, the Bible isn't a book. It actually, and I turned to the table of contents, say, this is a library of Mm. books. And uh, they all compiled over about 1500 years, 40 separate authors. They still have the same message and they complement and unite Uh, around the message of the Messiah. So uh, it is really that God revealed his word to us, his revelation, his communication to humanity. God put in a book through a variety of authors that he superintended to make it happen so that it could be a trustworthy book that we could read and believe.
1: And I know we as believers definitely understand the power and the impact of scripture on our lives. Uh, but what would you say to somebody who asked why reading the Bible specifically is so important? We live in an age where there's a lot of self-help books. So what is it that's really important about the Bible?
3: I, I read a, uh, can I mention something? I want to mention this book I did. It's called 50 Most Important Bible Questions. And it's it's sort of a summary of different things that that people have asked me through the years. Hmm. But there was a book, a GQ article by a a novelist named Jesse Ball, and he wrote this article, 21 overrated books you don't have to read before you die. Mm. And he included the Bible in that. He put it as number 12. Now, I'd never heard of Jesse Ball before. He may be a great writer, but I think he's pretty much mistaken about this. Uh, The Bible is a book that we should read because it's great literature. Uh, He says it's not, but it actually is marvelous literature, but more important than being great literature, it has divine truth. God speaks through it. Also, the Bible itself says that it's a supernatural mirror, uh, that when we look at it, we understand ourselves better. So not only is it revealing God, it's revealing who we are uh, and how we are in relationship with God. Uh, And, uh, Ultimately, I think that the Bible is the greatest love story ever written Mm -hmm. because it shows God pursuing humanity and doing everything he can to redeem us. And what he did is sent the Messiah, Yeshua, who out of love, no man took his life, he said, but he laid it down willingly out of love. And that's how God demonstrated his love for humanity, that he gave the Messiah, Yeshua, to die And then be raised again so that we can enter into a forgiven, forever relationship with God as his children. That is the great love story of the Bible. Amen. We'll be right back. During these difficult times, we know how hard it is to hold on to hope, and we want you to know that Chosen People Ministries is here for you. If you have any prayer requests,
1: our prayer team is standing by to receive them. You can submit your request at
3: chosenpeople.com forward slash pray. Again, that's chosenpeople.com forward slash pray.
0: Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com slash support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. So, does
2: Judaism emphasize reading Scripture as a regular practice?
3: Well, really, the greater emphasis in uh, among ultra-orthodox, those who study, the greater emphasis is usually on the Talmud, mm-hmm. the Gemara. But uh, sometimes that's used as sort of an attack on Judaism, and I wouldn't do that. I think it's it's really important of what they're saying is that as they understand it, the Gemara, which is the Talmud, okay, mm-hmm. is really about, uh, it's a curriculum for learning how to obey the Torah. And so first of all, it presumes you know the Torah, which is part of the Bible, the first five books. So there's a presumption also that you know the rest of the Hebrew Bible. And so even though people are studying Talmud or Gemara uh, in Judaism, there's a presumption that they have to know the scriptures. And and so I think that that's important and I would always encourage people. I, I once went to a Talmud study just out of the blue in brooklyn i was going with a this jewish believer was invited they were going to try and convince him not to believe in yeshua so he brought me along in fear and the it began with a talmud study and uh, so i was in the class they didn't know who i was in this class and it the talmud study uh, alluded to ezekiel 38 and 39 and no one in the class knew anything about it and i you know when we're looking at it I said well this is from Ezekiel 38 and 39 it presumes we know what it is and they said well what is it and I proceeded to teach the class wow. uh on Ezekiel 38 and 39 and the wars of Gog and Magog and uh the 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 rabbi in charge of the class came up to me afterwards and he wanted to know if I was orthodox oh. and I said no I am not <laughs> and uh then he said uh how do you know this because i was able to read the talmud and i was able to uh to explain scripture he was like how do you know this i said well i I read the bible all the time he says oh i so wish all our students would and uh anyway i just thought that was kind of a funny thing that that, uh that that, 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 of course they were shocked afterwards to find out i was the messianic jew who came with this other guy they didn't know what i was at (laughs) first
1: Oh, man, that is awesome that you were able to teach about Scripture in that kind of setting. And we know that you're a Jewish believer in Jesus. You would have been exposed to the Hebrew Scriptures before you came to faith and obviously the New Testament after you came to faith. What role did Scripture play in you coming to faith in Yeshua?
3: I always really loved the Bible growing up. And uh, when I was in high school, my mom went public as a follower of Yeshua My dad divorced her because he had told her if she ever told anyone that he would leave her. And he did. And I was really angry at my mom for breaking up our family. I felt that she was responsible. And one of the things that happened is I happened to meet sort of against my will, uh, the woman who was teaching the Bible at the Messianic congregation that Chosen People Ministries had in Brooklyn. Her name was Hilda Kozer. And I thought I would convince her not I would argue with her and show my mom how wrong uh, Ms. Kozer was about this. I blame Ms. Kozer, although my mom had believed this for a long time, but she was my mom's Bible teacher. So I began to m- meet with her about messianic passages in the Hebrew Bible. And I had a book that gave me all the explanations about why they weren't about Yeshua. I also had a book with all sorts of criticism of the New Testament. And we basically argued our way through the Hebrew Bible and what it says about Messiah. So that's the role that scripture's played. And uh, during the day when I was arguing, I felt very confident of my interpretation. Afterwards, I'd go home and think about it. And I think that uh, Ms. Kozer's explanation seemed more likely than mine. And and, uh, that's really what role the Bible played. Ultimately, I finally made the decision that if I was going to be a good Jew and believe everything that the Hebrew Bible said, for example, about the restoration of the state of Israel.
1: Mm.
3: I would also believe what the Hebrew prophets said about Messiah. And even if I were the only Jew ever to believe in Yeshua, I would still be a good Jew because I was believing in the in what the prophets were told.
1: So when you first started looking at the New Testament, or even just looking at scripture through a new lens, uh, what was the first book you read and what book would you recommend for a new believer in Yeshua who wants to start reading scripture?
3: The first book I read in the new Testament. Is that what you're asking? Yes. Not the old. Okay. Uh, I started with Matthew. Nice. Uh, I went through the four gospels, uh, immediately when I first came to faith and that was kind of fun. (laughs) I'd say, uh, I do remember reading the story of Messiah's passion, the, the death, the, the trial, and the crucifixion, and the resurrection, and it made me weep, and I was really surprised at the emotional power that that story had. Sometimes, I think we we forget what it's like to read that mm-hmm. story originally. You know, the the that
0: mm-hmm. first
3: time, we, we it it's become so common to readers of the New Testament that they just read it. But if the first time you're reading it in detail and seeing how uh, the innocent willingly died for the the guilty. And it's just it was and and then the, the glory of the resurrection that follows uh, and the joy that you see in the Gospels that just really moved me to tears.
1: Mm.
2: Did you notice as you were studying the Bible, um, as over the years, are there certain translations? We we all know that there are many translations of the Bible. Um, are there certain translations that you would consider more sensitive to a Jewish reader um, of the text?
3: Yeah, I think so. I, one of the things I appreciated about the the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Not the revised one, which is called the Holman CSB or the Christian Standard Bible without the word Holman. But the original that came out, I don't know, about 15 or 18 years ago or so, Mm -hmm. uh, before it was revised, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. uh, One of the things I really appreciated about it is every Jewish context in the New Testament, it translates the word Christos, not Christ, but as Messiah.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: And I really feel like that's very helpful for a Jewish reader of the new testament uh and uh i I don't feel like we have that's one of the ways that it can be more sensitive to a jewish person uh but i don't really believe that the bible needs to be we don't need to be protected from the new testament right uh and uh but that the the reason i like that for jewish people is because you know we we think of christ as a last name You know, Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, they had their little son Jesus Christ. And, uh, but the reality is is that the word Christos means anointed one, and the word Mashiach means anointed one. And Messiah in a Jewish context is what would have been understood. And so, uh, we Jewish people we understand the concept of Messiah, and so to translate Christos as Messiah in those Jewish contexts makes a whole lot more sense because it's more uh, communicates better. Yeah.
1: So, in light of new Jewish believers in Yeshua coming to faith, they're starting to discover the New Testament and also see the Old Testament in a whole new light. Uh, how would you recommend they can fit Bible reading into their regular busy schedules?
2: And, and a follow up to that, what is a good way to structure our daily time in the Word? Mm-hmm. So, so maybe talk yeah. us through some practical ways we can um, sort of read the word?
3: Yeah. Well, when I first came to faith, I I was a very, I used to be a real night person. I don't know what happened to me. I think aging. uh, (laughs) I'm a night person right now. So (laughs) I get up very early every day, about 5 a.m. But I used, yeah, I used, my my best time used to be at night. And so uh, I would read before going to bed. I would always read the Bible before going to bed. Mm -hmm. Now, if I did that, I would be asleep in about a minute and a half and not read much so uh i think basically finding your best time of day the time when you're most alert Mm -hmm. uh is the time to read the bible and one of the things i do now is when i get up i get up early uh and the first thing i do is take a sip of coffee the second thing i do is i open my bible Mm -hmm. And I read, and I tend to read at least, I I read systematically. I don't just read random books. Mm -hmm. I don't open the Bible. Uh, Sometimes I've used Bible through the year guides, Mm -hmm. but I only use those that mix Old Testament and New Testament, Hebrew Bible and New Testament. And I just have some time every day reading from both testaments and that's really important to me Uh, i think that people who start in genesis they're going to they get they get to through exodus and then they're halfway through exodus and then they start thinking really this is the laws of what do you do with a slave about or an indentured servant is really what they were uh whatever it is and they then they get the leviticus and they're done Mm -hmm. so i think it's really important to read all that i find great wisdom and significance in the book of Leviticus. But I need I need to recognize that there are some parts that are more exciting and some parts that are less exciting, some parts that are clearer, some parts that are less clear. And so I read from a a variety of of I read a little bit in the Old Testament, a little bit in the new. Uh, I think it's it's best to do that. And a person doesn't have to go crazy. If if a person reads 15 minutes a day, they basically will read through the bible in a year which 15 minutes a day i think anyone can do yeah but even if a person reads a couple of chapters in the old testament a couple of chapters in the new testament Mm -hmm. and that's all they do they may not get through the bible in a a year Mm -hmm. but they will have a systematic approach going through the, the books and it will be beneficial but i would say find the best time of day I find the first thing I do, I'm drinking my coffee, I'm reading my Bible, and uh, that's apart from studies that I do, a teaching that I do where I'm much more in depth, I just do daily reading, I'm not even, I'm generally not reading it in the original languages then, I'm just reading as fast as I can uh, to just to get some input in the morning, that's what I would start with. Of course, there's other times where I'm reading much more carefully, reading from the original languages, mm-hmm. studying, uh, but that's that's not what I'm talking about here.
2: Yeah. That's great. That's, that's very helpful. Um, It takes a lot of perseverance to um, try to get that momentum, right? Uh, To, Mm -hmm. to read the Bible throughout a year. Um, I think there are a lot of people who start it, um, like you said, and then they, they kind of wean off. And um, I know that's happened to me
3: (laughs) plenty of times, but um, yeah, go ahead. So uh, uh, the dedication of the book, uh, 50 Most Important Bible Questions is dedicated to Chosen People staff member Larry Feldman, Yeah. and here's what it says, to Larry Feldman, who's read the Bible every day since 1972, wow, Wow. he has not missed a day. And he knows the answers to these and probably every other Bible question and is the most faithful friend a person could have. Uh, But the thing that's remarkable about Larry is someone told him in 1972, that the Bible is God's word. Mm -hmm. He had just come to faith 50 years ago in January. This is this month when we're recording in January, January 15th, 1972, he had come to faith. Someone told him immediately it was God's word. He thought if God went to all that effort to give me a book with his message so I could hear his voice, I had better read it every day. Mm -hmm. And since January of 1972, he has not missed a day of bible reading not once that's amazing. so wow. he is not a super human being mm-hmm. uh but keeping that perspective this is how god talks to us yeah that's sh- that has kept him in the word and if larry could do it i promise anyone <laughs> so as we're attempting to be
2: like larry um how mm-hmm. how should we interpret the bible uh, should we interpret interpret the bible literally What does that even mean?
3: Some people say we should interpret the Bible literally. And then, of course, what they say is Yeshua said, I am the door. So do I think he had hinges on one side and a knob sort of in his midsection? I don't think so. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, he called Herod that old fox. I don't think Herod had a bushy tail and a pointy nose. (laughs) Right. I think it's far better to interpret the Bible literarily rather than literally. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is now I recognize it's sacred literature and there are some things that they happened and they're supernatural. And I take that at face value, mm-hmm. but there are obvious. So for example, I'll give you an example. Uh, a serpent speaks early in the Bible people say, well, you can't take that literally. Well, I I do, because in narrative, the history, the stories of the Bible, they're intended to be taken as factual. Mm. And so I think there must have been something supernatural happening there that enabled that serpent to talk. And I don't think it was a good supernatural because what the serpent was doing was lying and trying to tempt the first woman. And so I would say there was a supernatural power that took over that serpent. Uh, An evil one. Uh, But then there are other places where there's a deliberate symbolism. I was just asked about this morning, Psalm 45, which is a song about the king getting married. Mm -hmm. But the king in this is the Messiah. He's actually called deity. Your throne, O God, speaking of the king, is forever and ever. And so, obviously, it's a symbolic wedding of the Messiah mm-hmm. with all his people. And so if there's something symbolic, we should take it symbolically. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's something that is literal, we should take it literally. Mm-hmm. If there's a figure of speech, we should read it as a figure of speech. And so the point of it all is what we need to do is read, just learn to be good readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And, and that's something that, you know, our schools used to try and teach us to do, but uh, just learning how to read and, and looking for the clues within the text itself, is this literal? Is it figurative? Mm -hmm. Is it, is it symbolic? It is, is it, uh, uh, what what is the message of it? Mm -hmm. Reading that way, Mm-hmm. Is the way to understand the Bible. I don't think we I think we make it more complicated than we ought. Mm-hmm. Uh Rydlnick's first rule of biblical interpretation that I teach my classes is that in order to understand the Bible, we must read it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And then the second rule I give my classes is if you didn't understand it the first time, read it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the that's I think just good reading. And it's it's so I think we should uncomplicate reading of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I always tell people is don't read the King James Version. People get mad at me because there's some people who love the King James Version. Yeah. but And I, I think that there is good meaning in the King James Version, but get a good modern translation. You know, in the King James, it says, suffer the little children to come to me, because in King James English, 17th century English, "sufferment permit. But today we don't use it that way. And we don't want little children to suffer. So we misunderstand the, the, the text. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's best to get a good, easy to understand modern translation. I think that's crucial. And and then read well, read at face value and, and understand it that way. That's great. Mm-hmm.
1: So in light of reading scripture to understand it, what are some of the common mistakes people can make when they're interpreting the Bible? And how do we know if a passage of scripture can have more than one interpretation?
3: Well, there's more than one interpretation, but there's only one meaning. Oh. <laughs> I, I <Okay>. love that. <laughs> yeah. Elaborate. The, the the Bible only means what the author intended it to
1: mean.
3: Right? Mm. Uh The meaning lies with the author and what he intended. Now, the author, according to 2 Peter 1, was moved by the Holy Spirit. It didn't even come from him. The Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God moved him, and that guarantees that what that author intended is true, Mm. but uh, it only means what the author intended. So you go to a Bible study sometimes, and they say, what does this mean to you? I don't care (laughs) what it means to you. What I want to know is what did it mean to the author? right what was he trying to say now how does it apply to you certainly that Mm -hmm. that is the the basic rule i think the biggest mistake people make and i hear it all the time is uh passages that are intended to be read as narrative story Mm -hmm. factual this is what happened and that yes there's a lesson to be derived from it that the author wants us to get generally he puts it at the climax in the of the story in the mouth of one of the characters that's usually where you'll find your meaning Uh, but nevertheless and you need to have the whole narrative scope the whole not just the individual story you're looking at but the story within but then people want to find uh allegories within that and they read it symbolically or allegorically when it's more uh, straightforward Mm -hmm. so i was just talking with an old friend of mine and she was saying that in the story of Abraham and Sarah, that Abraham is God, the father, and Sarah is the believer. And I don't remember, I think she said Pharaoh, Uh, Pharaoh, when they went down to Egypt, that he represents the Holy Spirit. I've heard people do this with the story of Ruth, that Ruth represents the Jewish people, uh, uh, that I'm sorry, that uh, Naomi represents the Jewish people in that story, because she's embittered and uh boaz is messiah he's the redeemer and oh, wow. ruth is the is the gentile belief no <laughs> that's not what it's about
0: yeah Ooh. stop
3: it stop it i was just uh, stop trying to make yeah. hidden <laughs> hidden, mystical meanings mm-hmm. the bible is very clear in isaiah forty-eight sixteen. isaiah says the that puts the lord says through isaiah from the beginning I have not spoken in secret, mm. so don't count the letters and come up with secret meanings or numer- numerolo- numerological meanings or allegorical meanings. Mm. Read it literally, for what it means. Yeah, and uh, and what the author intended it to mean. Uh, by the way, the story of Ruth is just a great story of her uh, ultimately bringing a child into the world that, in the end. Having been redeemed, this Moabite woman, in the end, her child gives birth to another child and leads to the line of David. And so you've got the genealogy of David there. What's so significant is it sets up the Messiah, that Messiah will come from the line of David. So yeah. the whole story is derived or determined to get us to that genealogy so we know where the Messiah is going to come from, the line of David.
2: Just to as we sort of wrap up this episode, we always speak about the Jewishness of our faith. Um, mm-hmm. How helpful is it to read the Bible with an understanding of Jewish culture? Can you give an, an example of how this might help us?
3: Sure. Uh, we all have been to a Seder, right? Mm-hmm. I hope. Yep. Uh, most, it's, the, it's the most commonly celebrated meal or religious observance of Jewish people, even among secular Jews. Mm-hmm. And you go to a seder, and there's salt water on the on the seder plate, and a bowl, and it says, and we say, this is our these are our tears. Yeah. And you hold up matzah. This is the bread of affliction. And uh, it represents our affliction when we were slaves, and we hold up horseradish. This is our bitterness when we were slaves in Egypt, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And all that. Now, there are many people, both. Roman Catholics and Protestants with slightly different interpretations but they still see a mystical presence in the pass of the uh in communion they of of Jesus because the Lord Jesus held up a piece of matzah at a Passover Seder his last Seder and he said this is my body and he also uh held up a cup and said this is the blood of the new covenant, or the new covenant in my blood. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, well, Yeshua meant that literally. Well, just think about it. It was a Passover meal, so it was a memorial meal. He also said, Do eat this in remembrance of me. So he's saying it's a memorial meal when we have the, the matzah and the cup. And every Jewish person at that Seder, when he said, this is my body, would have understood, just like the salt water, just like the horseradish, this is a symbol Mm -hmm. of my body. This is a symbol of the blood of the New Covenant. They all would have understood it. Mm -hmm. Apparently, by not reading it as a Jewish text in a Jewish environment, people have completely misunderstood what the significance of the Lord's Supper is. And it's why I think we need to read the Bible. These are Jewish writers. And. describing events with Jewish people, and we had better understand what it means in that cultural context, uh, or we'll fail to understand the scriptures.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I love that you pointed out that these are all Jewish writers. Uh, I think we often miss the Jewish context of the New Testament. And we know that all the writers of scripture were divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit.
3: And some of them were not Jewish, actually just one, Luke.
1: Ah, yes. Yes.
3: He wasn't Jewish. And there are some people who believe he was, but for the most part, he wasn't Jewish. So Luke wasn't Jewish, mm-hmm. uh, but he was a doctor, mm-hmm. physician. So by profession, he was Jewish. So, <laughs> But Colossians 4 is pretty clear. Uh, Paul identifies the Jewish believers with him. And then after he identifies the Jewish believers, then he talks about Luke, the beloved physician, being with him. So, Luke mm-hmm. wrote Luke and Acts. He's the only exception, but he was writing in essence for Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was Paul's representative. And of course, Paul was Jewish. Yes.
1: Yes. And we know that Luke was also divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we yes. need the Holy Spirit in order to probably interpret Scripture. So, what role would you say the Holy Spirit plays in our Bible study?
3: There are godly people. Who will look at a passage and they are trusting in the holy spirit to guide them and they will interpret differently from another godly person they'll understand a passage differently so when we talk about the holy spirit illuminating us
1: mm.
3: it seems to me that it's not in the area of interpretation when the holy spirit illumines us what he is doing is he's showing the relevance of a particular aspect, the practical application in my life. Mm. Uh, That's what he's uh, really punching at us. He's saying, you, Radelnik, this is about you and this is where it applies. Uh, An example, we've had some sad stories in our area of leaders of congregations kind of crashing and burning.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: And when it started a couple of years ago, I was reading through first Kings and I came to first Kings 13, the man of God who declares by the word of the Lord, his words come true. He's really good at proclamation, but then uh, the King says, okay, stay here and let's eat. he says, no, by the word of the Lord, I was told, I must go back and go by another way. And then this old prophet comes out and deceives him and says, Oh, I heard from the word Lord. He said, come eat with me. Mm -hmm. And then, prophet the man of god goes and disobeys the lord what the lord told him and i've i started thinking about that passage Mm -hmm. and at first i thought oh this is someone said what does it mean i said it seems to me it's saying that those who proclaim the word of god must be obedient to it must be subject to it they can't just be good at proclaiming it they have to be obedient to it no matter what Mm -hmm. and then uh, that was good for me to say about other guys, don't you think? But then the kicker was, Rodelnik, you're the one on the radio proclaiming the word of God. You're in front of the classroom proclaiming the word of God. You're the guy that goes to speak at different conferences. You've opened the Bible. You're proclaiming the word of God. How good are you at obeying it? Mm-hmm. And, and it's, now I, I didn't think, oh, that's illumination. But that's what I really believe the Holy Spirit's doing is when he takes a passage of scripture and instead of us thinking, this is about Nicole or Abraham, <laughs> this is about me. Mm-hmm. And how am I going to apply it? Mm. Last question
2: for you. Mm-hmm. What resources would you recommend uh, to some to, to our listeners who want to study more deeply? Uh, maybe they're Messianic believers. What, what would you recommend?
3: I'd always start uh, one of the first things you get is a good one-volume commentary. I believe in that so much that I actually worked on producing one. Uh, it's called the Moody Bible Commentary. Yeah. And I edited it with Michael Van Lanningham. I contributed quite a number of commentaries, my fingerprints, even the things that don't have my name on it. I, I worked hard on that. Yeah. Uh, and the reason the Moody Bible Commentary is one I recommend, although there are other good ones I don't want you to think otherwise i mean it's it's i think it's good but there are other good ones i like it because it has a very clear messianism in the hebrew bible it shows messiah in the old testament i like it because it answers the questions that most people have when they're reading the bible Mm -hmm. it shows flow of thought uh in all the books has a good intro uh but also you'll you won't hear any kind this is particularly for jewish believers there's absolutely no supersessionism Mm -hmm. Uh, which is a teaching that the church has replaced Israel. Uh, And a lot of commentaries have that. This Moody Bible commentary, I guarantee you there isn't a word of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the 30 contributors agreed that God is going to be faithful to every promise he made to Israel. So uh, start with a good commentary, and I'm doing a little commercial. I think the Moody Bible commentary is a great one to start with. Uh, I think a second thing is everyone needs a good Bible dictionary. There are a number of great Bible dictionaries. I just happen to know because I'm a Moody Publishers author that the Ungers Bible Dictionary is really good, but the the Holman Dictionary is good and the Zondervan, they're all good, Mm -hmm. but get a good Bible dictionary, so you read something, you open it up, you say, okay, this is about Samaritans, I don't know anything about Samaritans, so you can open your Bible Dictionary and read about Samaritans, okay. Uh, So it's not a dictionary of words, it's actually a dictionary of concepts, it's Mm -hmm. it's it's like like a little mini encyclopedia. Right. Uh, Everyone needs a one volume. Bible dictionary. Uh, That's great advice. uh, And that's where I would start. Uh, One other thing that uh, I think is helpful, uh, believe it or not, is a book of doctrine. Because so often, one of the guidelines is we need to really interpret the Bible within the framework of what the whole Bible teaches. And so there's a good book by Charles Ryrie called The Survey of Bible Doctrine. And it, it sounds boring, but it's really kind of interesting. And it, and it gives us a framework as we read the Bible, not just about what the Bible is saying, but the parameters of what where we, we shouldn't go, because people will take things and and fly with it. So that's a really good one, uh, a survey of Bible doctrine.
2: Dr. Radelnik, thank you so much. I think in the last... 48 minutes i have on my timer um i've grown leaps and bounds in my faith <laughs> yeah. um just by hearing um how you uh read read the, the, the scriptures and um how you've grown over the years and so just thank you for your time and for your for your
3: generosity today um uh, we my really pleasure. appreciate it
1: thanks dr glad,
3: glad to be with you guys and remember what i say every week on my radio show keep reading the bible we'll talk about it next week so keep reading the bible we'll talk about it next podcast. <laughs> on. sounds good
2: Studying the Bible takes time and discipline, but the reward is profound. The Bible is God's word, and spending even just a few minutes in it each day is transformative. We hope this episode has kindled a passion for the Bible. It is never too late to start or restart a habit of regular scripture reading. We leave you with Psalm 1, through 1-3. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope featuring Dr. Michael Rodelnik. If you enjoyed this episode, I really do hope that you will go on either Apple Podcasts or now on Spotify and leave us a review. You can also share it on social media with your friends and family. This episode was produced by Nicole Vaca and Grace Sweet, and written by Rachel Larson and edited by Grace Sweet. This episode was created thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Kyron Bautista, and John Bautista. I'm Abe Vasquez. Until next time.
1: Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out ourhopepodcast.com or chosenpeople.com. You can also support our podcast by giving today at ourhopepodcast.com slash support. See you next time.